Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent conversations we've had on JM and the AM. Rebbits and Judy Steinig was with us to talk about the relocation and community fair uh, sponsored by the OU. Here's Rebbits and Judy Steinig on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, we promised you a discussion about the OU Virtual Jewish Community Home Relocation Fair. Believe it or not, it's this coming Sunday online from the comfort of your home no matter where that might be right now, because after this fair, the location of your home might change. It's possible. You'll be able to get I'm being serious about that. Uh, you'll be able to connect and speak personally with representatives from communities across the country and Israel, of course. Uh, there is a, a registration tab. Go to ou.org slash fair. You'll see the uh, link to register. You'll see the link to order the fair community guide. You'll also see all the links that uh, present the fair participating communities from around the United States and, of course, uh, Israel included. Um, it's all happening this coming Sunday. It starts at uh, 11 a.m. in the morning. Didn't I see that somewhere that it was 11 o'clock? Uh, starts, uh, well, we'll find out. We'll find out from Robertson Steinig in just a moment. Um, but it's an all-day affair for the fair this coming Sunday. Rebbiton Judy Steinig is Senior Director, Community Projects and Partnerships at the OU, and she's helping us preview the OU's Virtual Jewish Community Home Relocation Fair for this coming Sunday. A pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Wonderful to be here. Thank you so much, Nachum. Am I right that it's an all-day fair and it starts around 11-ish? No, actually it starts at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it goes till 8 p.m., but people can pop in and around. It's open house. If you have 15 minutes, or if you have three hours, whatever works for anybody. All right, so Just ten, do it along your schedule. 10 o'clock Eastern time, all the way until 8 p.m. It's literally a 10-hour fair, everybody. No matter when uh, you are available on Sunday, they at the fair will be available to you, obviously, all virtually. Now, many people remember when the fair was you know, live and in person. People would go and visit the booths and get information and start schmoozing with representatives from different communities around the U.S. I, I mean... I know that there's only a, there's a, a degree to which that could be achieved in a virtual fair, but how much of it can be achieved? How much interaction can people on one end have with the other end through a virtual fair? They can have tremendous interactions and a lot easier in many ways because you're not schlepping kids around. You're not in line with other people. That People will have the chance for, for group chats, private chats. There's auditorium sessions uh, with a number of the communities, which we were never able to offer before. It's a very exciting platform that's, that we're offering this on with great presentations. And, of course, of course, people could always follow up after Sunday. Right. They, they don't have to have these conversations on Sunday. They can pop around, look look at the booth. Some of, some of the presentations are just magnificent. Uh, they can chat with, with representatives on Sunday. or follow, And we're telling everyone, follow up later. You know, that's, that's the main point. There's, there's information to download uh, to your computer. Uh, so you, you have everything that's there, and then you can do it later as well. You know, it's funny because um, at, during, at some point, uh, in the last couple of decades, we've gone from, you know, there, there are certain areas of the United States that are popular for members of our community. And it's those, I don't know, four, five, six, you know, larger communities that are attracting everybody. Now people will be amazed at where there are communities for our it's, audience around the United States. Thank God. It's, it's everywhere. We have, in the United States, we have 52 communities that are participating. And by the way, another 20 
asked me about it, but it was way too late to include them. Wow. Thank God there are many, many places with wonderful amenities and just warm, friendly people there, and they're just looking forward to welcoming more people, depending on you know, jobs and other reasons that people have. And everybody has a different reason to go to a different community. And it's, it's, it's just amazing. Um, what is the benefit of registering for the event? Because now people can get basic information when they simply visit the website. I'm assuming it's the registration that will allow for the interaction and for people to get a lot more information. Correct. That's exactly it. Yes. There are, after the fair, just keep going to our website. But day of the fair, there, each community is putting up all sorts of documents that you can download. You can only get that if you register. And, of course, everyone should know that there's no charge to attend. Just, just put in your information. Um, and, you know, if you want to indicate which communities you're interested in, you don't have to. But if you do, those communities may be in touch with you to give you more information. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, good. So people can give advance notice about where they're interested in moving to, and that community will be in touch with them. Do you want to move to Albany, Allentown, Atlanta, Ben Salem, PA, Buffalo Grove, Illinois, Charleston, Chesterfield, Cincinnati, Columbus, and the list goes on and on and on. I am shocked at some of the communities, frankly, that are on this list, communities that are growing around the United States. Uh, 52 community booths with over 60 communities represented in the U.S. and Israel uh, in the 8th Community Fair that the OU is bringing uh, to everybody. Uh, Remington Judy Steining is with us. There are a lot of different considerations, by the way, and I know that this might be obvious to those who've already started to think about where they want to move to, but, I mean, you know, the schools and the tuition costs and the housing costs, I know that's a big one, uh, and, and, and they're just, you know, and, and distance to work, and some people are looking for a larger house in a more suburban environment. Other people are looking, you know, for things closer to the major cities. I mean, there are a lot of considerations uh, that people have, and I would assume every one of these communities, if they're, if they're smart about this, and I have a feeling that they've followed your guidance, they've pointed out all of these things in their presentations. Absolutely. We also have they, each one has a list of the amenities that they specifically offer. So some of them, it could be low taxes. It could right. be uh, special needs uh, resources within their schools. We also have many, many retirees and empty nesters joining us. So we also focus on senior and retiree amenities. Every community has something different, and what will attract one family won't attract another, and that's fine. Everybody should look at what is specific for them. Some people are looking to stay within the metro area, and that's fine. Other people are saying, I want to get out of that area. Right. I want to go to the Midwest, or I want to go south, or I want to go to the west. And people in the west are saying they want to come east. We have people, by the way, registered to attend from 33 states in the United States and 16 countries outside outside of the United States. You know, it's funny. When, when Miriam Wallach and I did the Road Trip podcast, we started getting the idea that unlike, you know, again, 15, 20 years ago when certain communities would be sitting dormant and would not have any uh, uh, people even showing an interest in moving there, it seems like every one of these communities, uh, even the small ones around the country, because of what they're able to offer and because of how open-minded people have become, it, it seems every one of them has potential to grow and to attract people. So those of you out there who are curious and wondering why certain communities are on this list, it, it, I think every one of these has the potential to attract people. Absolutely. We only accept communities to the fair if they have the basic amenities that an Orthodox Jewish family needs. Right. You know, right. they need to have 
uh, you know, they need to have access to a mikvah. You know, mm-hmm. not an hour away, within 15, 20 minutes. It might not be right in your community. You might have to drive to it, but it should be close by. They need to have schools. They need to have the basics. Otherwise, they wouldn't be part of the fair. Right. Understood. Um, uh, there, there is a fair guide, right? Is that going to yes. be uh, is yes. that gonna, is that going to be online or is that something that's actually being it's, printed? It's actually both. Right now, as of last night, uh, we're very happy that anybody who orders the who, who makes an order at all, the PDF will be, they will be getting it immediately. Everybody who had pre-ordered it got it last night. Uh, there's an option either for just the PDF guide or both the PDF guide and the uh, printed book. The printed book they'll get a couple of weeks after the fair. And, and frankly, I mean, there's a I hate to say this because I don't want to encourage people, you know, to spend time on this uh, on their Shabbos, for instance. But if they do print out certain things, or if they have the community guide in front of them, when they have a little bit of downtime with their family, it gives them an opportunity to, you know, to schmooze about this and to, you know, to bounce around some ideas about where to move to. That's exactly what people people have done that in the past. They have taken the printed guide from past ones, right. and I know it was a a discussion over Shabbos tables. Right. So you know, it's again, it's something that uh, people want to consider because when you have some downtime with your family, it's a good opportunity to open up this conversation. OU.org/fair. OU.org/fair. This coming Sunday is the virtual Jewish Community Home Relocation Fair. Brought to you by the OU, featuring a whole bunch of communities around the U.S. and Israel. Uh, Rebich and Judy Steining, is there anything you'd like to add? Just looking forward to seeing everybody virtually. There you go. Please, please register, join us, even if you only have 15 minutes. It'll be worthwhile. It'll be actually just a fascinating piece just to look through, click through community to community. And if you don't want to talk to anybody that day, that's also fine. Just take the information, and you can pursue it later. All of our communities know it's going to be – I mean, we have over 1,300 people have already registered, and we have several more days to go. We expect a big crowd. If you don't have time to talk, you can always talk later. Did you you, uh, count how many uh, states are represented? Yes, 33 as of now, and 16 countries outside of the United States. 33 states? Yes. That's hard to believe. Wow. People, wherever they are, it's clear that people are interested in going somewhere else, and maybe that'll be the the perfect place for them. Very cool. Amazing. Remington Judy Steinig is the uh, Senior Director of Community Projects and Partnerships at the OU, and we are recommending that you spend part of Super Bowl Sunday on the website, ou.org slash fair. Register. You'll see the uh, cl- the um, uh, the link to register immediately when you get to the uh, page, ou.org slash fair. Uh, click there and register. You can also order the fair community guide right there. Uh, you'll see it the moment you get to the page. It starts officially 10 a.m. Eastern time this Sunday and goes officially until 8 p.m. Eastern time this coming Sunday. But as Robertson Steining just described, it is really something that will be, uh, well, almost everlasting because of the uh, capability of following up whenever you wish uh, once the fair concludes. The Virtual Jewish Community Home Relocation Fair, ou.org slash fair, ou.org slash fair. Uh, Robertson Steining, good luck this coming Sunday, and thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having us. A pleasure. We, we really appreciate it. A pleasure. More coming up. It's Wednesday. It's JM in the AM. That was our conversation with Robertson Judy Steinig. Yosef Kanofsky was with us here recently on JM in the AM. Here's that conversation on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. Our Thursday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. With us live via telephone is Yosef Kanofsky. He's Director of Government and Programs at Teach Coalition. That's our friends, of course, at the OU, the Orthodox Union. And many of you are aware of the fact that there has been a development in the grants, government grants for security in our um, community institutions recently. 
And Yosef Kanovsky has an update on that for us on a Thursday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. A pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Nachum. Uh, so we know. Pleasure to be here. I appreciate that. Most of us know, the audience certainly knows, uh, that those of us here in the United States, that there's been over the years uh, specific funds that have been designated by the government to help our institutions, our schools, our synagogues, etc., when it comes to security and security apparatus, etc., etc. What is the recent development? What's happened over the last couple of weeks? So um, anyone familiar with the Albany budget process knows that the process kicks off around this time every year, uh, starting with the governor releasing an an executive budget and giving an executive budget address. So the governor in her executive budget announced several um, amazing developments for non-public schools. In security, one of the developments is um, an additional $55 million in security grants, uh, allocated to non-public schools. That's that's on top of what we of of um, the 15 million that we get every year from the from the state. So there's a 30 million dollar increase in um, what we call a, pu- a per pupil allocation, which is non-competitive. Schools just get that um, by dint of having uh, filled out you know government paperwork, uh, right. registering their children with uh, with the state um, through a process called the beds um, process, which is uh, they they you know trade data with the state, let them know how many students they have, and um, that that triggers a lot of different allocations for non-public schools. And so this allocation, which is a $15 million allocation, um, which has been out there since 2013, now got tripled to $45 million um, in the governor's executive budget. Now these are so the, that's it. These are the. Ahead, F- I'm sorry. I know that your office is obviously you know one of the the key reasons, but in in general, this is the efforts of who or the efforts of what that get something like this uh, you know to the level that it's at now. So this particular initiative is is a uh, is and and most most um, initiatives in the budget process uh, for non public schools are are really accomplished through the advocacy of um, you know a coalition of non public school advocates. On the Jewish side, so that includes Tisha NYS, Agudat Yisrael, um, Federation, and and other other different groups that advocate. Um, and on the non on the on the non-Jewish side, that's the Catholic Conference, and um, you know uh, the Independent School Association, different uh, different groups that that have a voice in Albany. And the schools, and I know this is going to sound like a funny question. The schools and synagogues, I'm assuming, are aware of all this already and have been instructed how to go about uh, being part of this of this distribution. So the distribution is not finalized. This is just the initial um, initial uh, proposal by the governor. Right. But usually, the governor's proposals come in lower than 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 where things finalize, and um, we're very confident that uh, this is going to go through. Um, so it's not yet it's not yet at the stage where schools have to do anything, but um, we're very confident that this is going to go through. So it's a very big deal. Yosef Kanovsky um, is director of government programs at Teach Coalition with the OU, of course. What about the federal level? Because we've seen government officials on the federal level take credit for uh, some of the things that have been designated uh, for our communities, for again for synagogues, for schools, and and uh, places of worship, and uh, important institutions in other uh, communities as well. What's been happening on the federal level? So in security on the federal federal level, there's a there's a yearly um, competitive grant called the Nonprofit Security Grant Program, um, which is uh, like I said, a competitive grant for security upgrades. Um, in some cases, security guards, um, security training, cybersecurity, and um, that's been around since since uh, I believe 2005. 
quite you know it's it's a it's a long standing program the in the last years with the with the um you know unfortunate uh you know increase in in attacks against um against you know faith based faith based individuals and in general you know domestic terror as opposed to always the 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 constant um threat of international terror um the program's allocations have grown tremendously so um last year's allocation was 180 million dollars for the entire country um and yeah schools shoals um and other nonprofits are able to apply for these grants and uh they're very competitive but um it's been a lot there's been a large increase in the allocations over the last you know last several years and um that's definitely that's definitely um attributable to the to the advocacy work of organizations like you know we have a we have a branch of of um our advocacy you know OU advocacy operates out of Washington DC they were instrumental in in um you know creating the the idea to found this program and um obviously are instrumental in in terms of getting the program funded at a at the, at the highest level it can possibly be yeah it's funny they're still working actually for this year for um they're trying to get it up to 360 million dollars you know and we're working on that um it's It'll funny. It's funny it. because as you're saying all this, it sounds it sounds like you're thinking exactly what I'm thinking, and that is how many years it's taken and how much hard work both in Washington on the federal level and and, and the capitals here on the more local level, uh, just how much work it's taken. And anybody who thinks that this happens overnight, and I'm not being literal with that, obviously, but people who think that this is uh, you know you, you could look back years and years to the genesis of all of this. So now we're uh, you know the community is uh, benefiting from the fact that that all. All these grants are being increased and still being offered to our community, but boy, did it take a lot of very hard work at the beginning. One hundred percent. I mean, um, you know, Nathan Diamond, who's our Washington, uh, the director of all your advocacy in Washington, could definitely speak to that um, in terms of in terms of the federal advocacy. But on the state level, also, um, our our executive director and and uh, and founder, Moore Litwack, um, you know, when he first came on the scene. I think people didn't, you know, people are like, well, you, you have to understand the way Albany works, and uh, right, you know, it's not, it's not going to be so simple. There was, and, a, there uh, was a lot of skepticism, a lot of skepticism, uh, tremendous, tremendous. But, but now, um, you know, I think, I think the real people are seeing the results. We have, um, we have another development. I don't know if you're familiar with it with the with the STEM program, the STEM teacher reimbursement program. I was going to ask you about um, that. Tell us what that's happening. What's happening there? Yeah, so in the governor's executive budget, she released uh, the funding of fifty-five million dollars for the STEM reimbursement program. Now, um, just to give you a sense of what uh, you know, how monumental that is, the STEM program was was started in two thousand seventeen. It was the first program um, in, in the country to reimburse non-public schools for the costs of qualified STEM teachers, um, and it started out as a five million dollar allocation. Teach Teach Coalition was. Um, you know, instrumental in the in the we didn't. You know, these programs are have to be written in by, by lawmakers, um, and you know, they're, they're they're legislative programs. But our advocacy really was the was the trigger for this um, for the starting of this program, along with with um, the support of our coalition pro, uh, partners. And it started out at five million dollars. It was it was definitely um, it was definitely uh, an outlier in terms of in terms of programs. No one had seen such a program like this. People were a little bit skeptical. Schools were skeptical. And it started out at five million dollars, which is a pretty modest allocation for for year one, which was 2017 and 2017-18 school year. Right. Um, this this allocation that the governor put in for for 22-23 is 55 million dollars. That's an 11 time increase from the original allocation. Wow. Now, the allocation last year was 40 million. Um, I'll just go. I'll go in the years. Year one was five million. Year two was 15 million. Years three and four were 30 million. 
Um, last year was uh, forty million, and you know for twenty two twenty three, it's proposed to fifty five million dollars. Now again, it's the governor's budget. Um, it's not the final number yet. The final number will come out when the when the executive budget when the um, you know final budget is, is uh, agreed upon between you know the the governor and the senate and the house, which will be which is usually the first of uh, April. But um, again, we're very confident about uh, such a you know such an ambitious number. We're really fighting that. Um, we're fighting and, and, and targeting a goal of around $100 million, which we believe would fund the, the program in its entirety, you know, and get a full reimbursement for teachers um, for the work. Well, the bottom so, line is in these two areas, I mean, I'm sure there are other areas as well, but in these two areas with these updates that you're giving us, it's obvious that uh, both on the state level and federal level, there has been a, a tremendous amount of progress and that uh, outfits like yours, Teach Coalition as part of the OU, uh, have really been there on the front lines in uh, fighting these battles. I don't want to paint it as a battle, but it, it takes a lot of hard work uh, to get all this through and to uh, un- and to let our government officials understand just how important these things are to our community. So to you and to all your partners, I say a big yeshikoach, a very, very uh, big congratulatory, um, uh, a, a big congratulations is warranted in this case. And uh, and all and I'm sure <laughs> that that you and your uh, and and your colleagues will continue to fight both in Albany and in other state capitals and of course in Washington D.C. Uh, most definitely, and uh, we appreciate the the recognition. Um, and we're certainly not planning on stopping. And uh, you know, not with not with STEM, not with security. Um, we have many many ideas, many initiatives that are going on. And um, my particular shop works on on the. Uh, the actual implementing of these programs, making sure schools get the get the dollars and the services that they're entitled to, and uh, helping them with all all the steps of the process. So we really, um, yeah, we are working hard, and yeah. uh, we're proud of that. Fact. All right, when you when hey schools out there and everybody, parents, everybody affiliated with schools, when you wonder about STEM uh, funding that's coming in uh, for our students in schools, and when you're thinking about the uh, security measures that we're able to take and improve both in our synagogues and our uh, and on our community uh, 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 facilities, whether it be uh, JCCs, uh, schools, etc. Uh, remember that Teach Coalition of the OU is one of the uh, groups and certainly leading all the groups in making sure to advocate for all of this in the state capitals and Washington, D.C. Yosef Kanofsky is Director of Government Programs at Teach Coalition. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Much appreciated. Thank you so much, Nachum. Really a pleasure. More coming up. It's Thursday at JM in the AM. That was our conversation with Yosef Kanofsky. Rabbi Mendy Hirth has a Purim initiative that he introduced here at JM in the AM. Here's that conversation on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, I get that it's Adar Aleph, and I get that next week is Purim cut done, but there's got to be another reason why I, Nahum Siegel, am playing Vinahapohu and getting us into the mood for Purim. Because Rabbi Mendy Hirth is with us live via telephone, and uh, he has a Purim initiative, even though it's still five weeks till Purim and one week till Purim Katan, a Purim initiative that's worthwhile supporting and worthwhile certainly learning about. Um, Rabbi Mendy Hirth, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Thank you so much for all that you do and for having me on today. I appreciate that. Uh, all right, tell us how this developed, when it started, and what's going on with this Purim initiative. So in 2007, there was a boy in Yeshiva Gedola that had yard sites for his grandfather, and he wanted to make a seam. At the time, he felt it was impossible to get 10 guys to sit down together for any length of time, brainstormed with his roommates, came up with the idea of offering a free meal, and hoped if they would learn for an hour and a half, he'd give them a free meal would be enough to get 10 guys to sit down. Meaning, meaning trying to get 10 guys on Purim. 
Yeah. Right. This 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 seum was to be made on the art site when right. the art site was Purim. Right. So he aimed for the night, figuring the day would be too hectic. And I saw the sign right after it went on the bulletin board in the uh, school where he was learning, and I asked him if I could be his partner. And he said he could afford even 20 guys. And he didn't, in his wildest dreams, he would get even 20. 80 guys signed, he turned me down, by the way. (laughs) 80 guys signed up, and he came running back to me desperate that I should be his partner. He wasn't there the next year, and I expanded it every year after that. And two two years ago, last year during COVID, I didn't do it for obvious reasons. Two years ago, I had 8,290 people learning in 80 institutions all around the world. Wow. Moscow, Johannesburg, Mexico, Canada, all over Israel, and all over the United States. Because we know that Purim, uh, people can get involved in a lot of stuff that are not that's not recommended. If we can keep them, you know, stable and in a situation like you just described, it's a big victory. It's tremendous. There's an Asetoiv and Sumeira, the um, hospital emergency rooms are not as busy, Bar Hashem. I don't know if anybody took notice, but Lately, there aren't so many ads about let's not get carried away on Purim by Atzala. Do you think that this is one of the reasons? I'm positive. Wow. I, I've been told, I called up one year um, a local Hatzala and I said, how was last night? He said, I don't know, I was sleeping. Interesting. So talk about, you know, a, a great initiative that obviously has young men spending their time very wisely on Purim, but in addition to that, it's actually saving lives. It that. That according to a Dayan that I spoke to in Lakewood, who once spent Purim in the emergency room with a good friend of his who had to have his stomach pumped, he held its its kuch nefashis, and uh, I'm I'm definitely saving lives. Yeah, well, it certainly sounds like it, right? Mendy Hearth is with us. All right, so what do you anticipate for this year? How many people around the world will be under this initiative's umbrella for Purim night this year, five weeks from now? So. I had an expense of the meal with money that I raised um, two years ago was close to $100,000 for the meals all over the place. Now, it's interesting that during COVID, there was an initiative by someone in Lakewood to organize all the Masifters since they couldn't go out and collect to do something else. He got every Masifter to agree to learn, and the boys got sponsors. Right. And they raised tremendous amount of money. I spoke to him last night, and he hopes to do it again. I anticipate well over 10,000 people, um, maybe even more, um, because now that it's out there, I started getting calls from places that I never heard about, don't even know exist, uh, because they heard about me. And um, the financial side could blow way past $200,000. Amazing. All right. Um, Rabbi Mendy Hearth is with us. So we get it. We get it. We get how important an initiative this is and what it does for uh, our community worldwide now on Purim. The big question is, how do people out there support this initiative and get involved in your project? So they could go to learnonpurim.com. And if there's anybody who has any specific questions, they could call me at 973-471-7251. Or email learnonperm at gmail.com.
Wow, interesting. I'm on the, I'm on the uh, site right now. It's literally just an opportunity for people to give and to support what you just uh, what you just outlined for everybody. Learnonpurim.com. Those of you who want to just give and be part of this uh, uh, initiative, uh, there's your opportunity. And uh, uh, I, I don't know what to say. It sounds like as the word gets out, this just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Baruch Hashem, yes. And there, there are there are two things that I'm 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 quite um, excited about over the over time. I spoke to one yeshiva this week, and they said that um, because they're sort of like in an island, they're out in the community, middle of nowhere, and the boys have nowhere to go. After Megillah, they they have a suda and they sit down and learn till shachris. <laughs> they learn the whole night. They're up the whole night. But they're up, but they're up the whole night doing stuff that that prior right prior generations so we're not doing on Purim night frankly that that's true um, the other thing is that the first year I did this with sixth seventh and eighth graders so a lady came to me and she said more than what you see you accomplish what you don't see is a bigger accomplishment and I told her I don't understand what are you trying to tell me every year in the younger grades the boys themselves arrange the cars and a boy who is shall we say, a nerd, for lack of a better terminology. He's not an exciting kid to have in the car. Nobody wants him. Purim is a misery, and he cries himself to sleep. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we did away with that. The, it, it's, as you said in the beginning, this song that you played, Venahapechu, it's completely changed. Yeah. All the yeshivas that do this, the whole yeshiva is ba'achtos, everybody's dancing together, I've had parents tell me they come to watch and they can't leave. Their wives have to call them home. <laughs> They're stuck there. It's it's such an amazing night. It's pretty amazing. Uh, everybody out there, you you hear what Rabbi Mendy Hirth uh, has undertaken and how this has grown over the years. Uh, Purim cut on his next week. By the way, you have a really uh, big advantage this year. You have a lot of time till we get to Purim, which you know I'm sure is is heartwarming for you that you have more. It's, it's heartwarming and um, we'll we'll need every minute because um, there's so much to organize. Um, I have literally yeshivas calling me. I had somebody call me from Brazil. He wanted to know if um, he could have it started there. He's going to get back to me now that I gave him the details. And um, I've had people approach me from all over. Unbelievable. Uh, Anybody wants to get involved, give us the website one more time. LearnOnPurim.com. LearnOnPurim.com. As simple as that, everybody. Rabbi Mendy Hirth encourages everyone to join this initiative and make Purim, continue to make Purim, safer, better, and the time better spent for our youth. Uh, this Purim, just like he's been doing so many Purims in the past. Thanks so much for joining us, and a Freilich and Purim. Thank you. Yeah, it's early, everybody. I know. We've got five weeks till Purim and a week till Purim cut them, but I'm still going to say a Freilich and Purim. Rabbi Mendy Hirth recommends, as do we, that people support the initiative and uh, help in this amazing cause. More coming up at JM and the AM. That was our conversation with Rabbi Mendy Hirth. Rabbi Tzvi Ortner joined us recently on JM and the AM. Here's that conversation at JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, we mentioned that uh, OU Kosher is going to be certifying made for Shabbos GE appliances. The transition to OU Kosher supervision will bring improvements to the Shabbos mode on GE appliances, ovens, fridges, etc. And with us live via telephone is uh, Rabbi Tzvi Ortner. Rabbi Tzvi Ortner is the OU's first director of Jewish Law and Technology, joining the organization 
five years ago. Rabbi Ortner leads the effort to make smart kitchens entirely Jewish holiday and Shabbat observance friendly. Rabbi Ortner, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Good morning. My pleasure, too. Thank you very much. What was How long ago, in your estimation, was the first effort uh, on behalf of uh, major appliance companies to do anything to help the kosher consumer when it comes to Shabbos and Yontif. What is the genesis of this whole concept of major appliance brands helping out the Jewish community? That's a good question, um, and I think uh, it goes back about 25, 30 years ago. Uh, the effort was on the minimum level of like any other uh, groups that uh, manufacturers are trying to satisfy. If you think about the kosher market, the food market, uh, going back uh, 50, 60 years ago, the industry actually started. So uh, companies were um, open to minor changes uh, to try to satisfy a little bit of customers for the demand, and the, and the level of satisfaction was on a very low level. So if you go fast forward 30 years later, when the old technology um, changes started, also the in the beginning, the changes that the manufacturers already to made was at a very, very minimum level, uh, like uh, taking care of the light bulbs and stuff like that. But uh, as the, the uh, appliances became more and more complicated, the level of changes required by the companies were much on a higher level. So here was where the mess starts, but some companies will do uh, 20% of a solution, 50% of a solution. And as we move on, and there's more demand and there's more uh, uh, will the companies, we were able finally to get to a perfect solution that 100% of taking care of every issue involved in the technology into the appliances by the uh, provision or use to the G appliances. Now, I, I uh, excuse my ignorance on this topic. Maybe I don't spend enough time in the kitchen, and frankly, I do still unscrew the light bulb every Friday, so obviously I'm using a refrigerator that's at a certain level in 2022. Uh, is it? And, and again, I know that OU and GE now have this relationship, but just out of curiosity, and it could be a yes or no question, are there other brands that, that pay attention to this, or is GE really the leader in all of this? So interesting enough, there's many brands that are paying attention. Now, paying attention at different levels. You know, you'll find one of the most interesting things in this uh, industry that you're not going to find anywhere, which means you're never going to walk into a uh, restaurant and you're going to ask for the Heksha, for the cost of certification. They're going to tell you it's self-supervision. Right. I actually had such a story years ago when I was doing uh, some other cautious project, and I went uh, I went online to look for some, some, you know, some place to eat, and I saw a place that opened seven days a week, uh, a week. So and it was it was a uh, kosher. So I walked in and I said, "Who is your super, uh, you know, supervision? Who is the agency certifying the place?" So the the guy goes and says, "The self supervision, right?" So no one on the world will actually gonna go and uh, eat in such a place, right? Right. But when it comes to appliances, for some reason, um, it's very popular for companies who came out on their own and publicized their own Shabbos mode, which based on, on their own non-Jewish engineers' uh, limited understanding of the requirement of Shabbos law, and they're going to come out with, with Shabbos mode. And Shabbos mode can, can mean from uh, just showing you where is the light switches, 
up to certain levels that you know uh, can be, can get some other certification like the Star K has or so. But uh, in a level of getting into the kishkas of the appliances and actually analyze every move and every computer sensor to make sure they're complying with Chabas, I think GE at this point is the only one in the market. They took the time and effort and money investment to make sure they are Chabas mode and their Chabas keeper that we are manufacturing together is going to give the most perfect solution possible. The Shabbos mode that I'm familiar with, you know, keeps the uh, oven on, let's say, throughout an entire yuntif. Um, that, and, and I and I think, frankly, you know, the appliance we have at home, that's the extent of our Shabbos mode. Is it much more complicated these days? Does Shabbos mode mean anything more than that at this point? Yeah, absolutely. So Shabbos mode, when it comes to refrigerators or when it comes to oven, there's two, two separate conversations. So when it comes to refrigerators, you know, most likely it's going to take you light on. And some, on some degree, it's going to play a little bit with the fans and with the defrost system, which is an actual oven that, you know, defrost the ice in, in the back of the, of the refrigerators. Uh, and, and between those lines, it's going to be the sharpest mode available in the market today. Yeah. But what we are coming into the picture, we, through the sharpest people, we were able to manipulate the entire silt system, which include the compressor, the damper, um, the temperature controller, the humidity controller, and some others, uh, some other sensors involved, and of course the fan and the lights and all of them. By the way, we have a chiddush to the lights. Yeah. Usually on a Shabbos food, you can have your light off, right? So you're not going to be able to enjoy the food when you open the door on Shabbos. Right. right. We came out with a different way. We're doing it. We're reducing the light to a 20% usage because it's LED, and we're keeping the light on for the entire Shabbos. <laughs> so Amazing. even when the, when the door is closed, you can actually, the, the light is on, so whenever you open the door, the light is, the light is still on. And so this is, this is number two. And then, of course, we put it to defrost on a full time cycle, so there's no way that you, by opening or closing the door, uh, causing any changes to the temperature, to the sealed system, to the compressor, to the defrost, and everything that's involved. And still, the temperature is thank God, and we took after after two three years in the market, temperature is fine, the food is okay, so you can enjoy uh, your Shabbos meal uh, with one hundred percent observance. What about the oven? When it comes, what about the oven? How how different is that Shabbos mode today? So when it comes to the oven, the oven is much more of an important question actually, um, and much more of an important shaila la because. Again, putting aside the sensors, lights, and stuff like that, which is the minimum that we're taking care of, of course, the element, the fire element, whether it's going to be a gas unit or it's going to be an electric unit, the fire element is being controlled on two ways. At the minimum, it's being controlled by temperature. Right. The thermostat is actually turning on and off the fire based on the temperature, so you open and close the door. The difference between the room temperature and the oven temperature is causing the element to turn on and off. And secondly, very common recently for safety or quality reasons, the manufacturers are doing something, uh, I'm not sure what the exact name for it, but basically when you open the door, even if the element is on, the element is going to show off right. until you're closing the door and the element is going to show on. Right. So this is causing us serious issues. Now, the first issue of temperature control, you can deal a little bit with Gromo and stuff like that. You can be maybe a bit lenient when it comes to Yomtev. 
But the second issue, actually turning off the fire and turning on the fire when you open and close the door, this is a very serious issue. Wow. So, no Shabbos mode, to my knowledge, uh, today, that is taking care entirely of these two issues, except the one we just came out with, GE, which actually uh, terminated both issues. The, the door switch is actually deactivated, so it doesn't recognize whether you open or close the door, and the temperature is regulated and automated before Shabbos and Yom Tov, so you're not affecting in any way uh, the opening or closing of the door. Rabbi Tzvi Ortner is with us, the OU's first director of Jewish Law and Technology. We're talking about the transition to the OU, uh, OU Kosher, uh, for GE Appliances. It has brought improvements to their Shabbos mode for ovens and refrigerators. I don't mean to get anybody alarmed, but you know, with, without if one is going to get a sophisticated 2022 oven or fridge, and they are concerned about Shabbos, uh, and again, you know, I understand you're representing the OU, so you want to encourage this, that that's understandable. But you, you almost have to wonder uh, that, you know, that, that, there, that there's almost no choice these days if you're going to go that, to that level of sophistication, but to get, you know, something that's supervised by people like yourself. Yeah, I think, I think it's not so much of an alarm. It's just awareness that people just don't know. People, for some reason, don't think about it. You know, you buy an oven... The, the woman is usually interested in the color and the size or some other features, but you never get into what goes behind behind the scenes and behind the bars in the oven in the fridge. But it's very important what you do of love them and having their awareness out there. So people, please, you know, make their homework. You know, I have some sometimes cases, you know, people are making their homework. They're, they're asking their rabbis and they're coming back and say, you know what, I don't care. So no problem. As long as you do your homework and you get your own stock and you know what you're doing, do whatever you want. But please pay some attention and time to make a, a knowledgeable decision. Wow. Um, can people, I mean, I, I have here a contact number for GE Appliances. Should people be in touch with the OU or be checking the OU Kosher website for recommendations, or can they literally discuss this with a GE representative when they're looking to buy an oven or a fridge? So this is a good question. We obviously, we're doing the work to transition and to give the information. In other words, not we. GE is actually doing the work as we speak to communicate the information and the details to their representatives and customer service and stuff like that. Obviously, it's a big, huge company. It's going to take time. Um, so what options should be available soon or they're available already, whether you want to call a GE representative or you, you want to ask your Hamish dealer, or you want to call us through the OU general line, you can email me directly, whatever which way you want. We're going to try to help. This is something that the, uh, let's put it this way, the, the retail dealers in noticeably Jewish neighborhoods, they'd be familiar with this. They're, they're, the ones who sell the appliances would be very familiar with all the things we've discussed this morning. Correct. They can have their challenge between their promotions or their own interest, what to push for the customer, but many of them, I can say, are definitely aware Many of them are definitely at least going to put it as a, as a serious option, meaning when you put on the table, when you're, going, you, when you're getting your, your appliances, there's a lot of things to take into consideration with in terms of size, you know, fitness, colors, and everything. What we ask and most of the dealers do, at least put shoppers as one of your considerations. Understood. And when it comes to purchasing, when it comes to purchasing a fridge, or an oven, if you're looking for, you know, Shabbos-friendly appliances, are there basic ones 
that you know st- at reasonable pr- or, or lesser prices that people could still explore if you or if you want you know c- complete supervision or complete uh, compliance uh, in your you know for Shabbos in the appliance you have to buy on the higher end. So when it comes to refrigeration today, uh, the Shabbos keeper, which is a device developed together with OU. Um, um, Technologies and GE is already comparable with the entire line of refrigeration of GE, which means you can have, I would say, 99% of the refrigerators from low end to high end comparable with this device, so you can have it, uh, you can have anyone that you want. Um, it, it takes time, it takes time to, comp- to make them uh, comply, and therefore, when it comes to ovens, by now we don't have everything. But um, we're definitely uh, having more and more. For example, today we're launching another line of about 40, 45 models that's going to be comparable. So we're going to go over time. Um, I can tell you at this point not every oven is comparable, but uh, we're definitely going to get those. So I would advise when it comes to oven, you can either check with GE or Smart Technologies to make sure whether your own, your particular one, is comparable now or even going to be comparable. Which means, you know, you can buy it now and in a few weeks from now uh, make it comparable with Chalmers. Wow. Uh, you can go to OU Kosher, everybody. You can go to OU Kosher and get more information about this big story. They're now uh, taking care of GE appliance supervision for ovens and fridges for the Shabbos mode, the Shabbos keeper. Uh, and Rabbi Ortner, Rabbi Tzvi Ortner is um, uh, director of the OU Kosher Technology. Rabbi Ortner, we spend so much time on Shabbos hanging out near our fridges and ovens. <laughs> I'm glad that you're helping us. I, I'm glad you're helping us spread the word that we've got to pay more attention to what's happening on Shabbos in those fridges and ovens. By the way, on a contrary of Nachum, when you get the, the Shabbos Keeper, you don't have to pay attention anymore to the Shabbos Keeper because we also have an automation. In other words, there's a built-in Jewish calendar for the next 30 years. They're going to change your own and refrigerator automatically every Shabbos into Shabbos one. So once you buy it, you just set up and forget it. And that means that uh, Yontif and Yontif Shani and every Shabbos, they're all included in that. Absolutely. Unbelievable. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of the exception where it would be a problem, but I, I'm gonna have to think a little longer because I can't think of any right now. But that's pretty amazing. <laughs> it's all. Yeah. Give you an example. There was actually Yom Kippur that considered on holiday. I was just thinking. I was just. gonna be like a like a Shabbos. Right. Oh my God. I was just for some reason Yom Kippur popped into my mind because I was thinking you don't really use your refrigerator much on Yom Kippur, although that's not true if you're feeding kids and stuff. But then, of course, you're right. Yom Kippur can't be a Yuntif mode. It's got to be a Shabbos mode. I love it. Fantastic. You made my day on that one. Rabbi Ortner, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Continued the Hatzlacha Rabba with this effort. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for your time and effort. Rabbi Tzvi Ortner, everybody. OU Kosher. There's always big news coming out of OU Kosher. This is certainly big news as they now uh, are supervising an, uh, this entire move by GE Appliances to continuously bring improvements to the Shabbos and Yuntif mode for their ovens and refrigerators. I would give out the GE number, but I think Rabbi Ortner is right. Go to OU Kosher and start there if you have questions. And maybe the best place to start, as he indicated, is uh, so many people in so many Jewish neighborhoods that are listening right now around the world uh, know of appliance um, um, uh, appliance uh, retailers 
that are specifically uh, you know, from our community and are very familiar with all of this. You could start with that, and obviously if you're in an area that doesn't have that, you could use the other options. Monday morning broadcast, you're listening to JM in the AM. That was our conversation with Rabbi Tzvi Ortner. Thanks so much for tuning in. More coming up at the Nahum Siegel Network.